Well, the time has finally come that I've been excited about, looking forward to, both Amanda and I. And we met some of you uh, before, and some of you we had not met before, I think. So we're glad to see you again or to meet you for the very first time. We're going to be talking about evangelism this morning. And this is something that I know the congregation here takes very seriously. The fact that we are here having a gospel meeting this week is an indication that men here, the congregation here, is interested in saving souls. When you think about the word evangelism, do you see what word is in the middle of the word evangelism? Yeah, angel. An angel is not necessarily a heavenly being. In the Bible, an angelos, an angel, could be someone who is spreading God's word. Because it simply means, in its most basic form, a messenger. So, for example, in the Greek language, John the baptizer, he's called an angel in the Greek language, in the Gospel accounts. When Jesus wrote to the seven churches of Asia, or Jesus gave those words to John, you know, he says to the angel of the church at Ephesus, to the angel of the church at Smyrna, so forth and so on. Well, I believe that what he's talking about is the evangelist working with that congregation, the one who is preaching the word of God. And of course, you could have more than one, but I believe that's most likely the meaning of what Jesus was saying in Revelation 2 and 3. So, Christians, we're supposed to be evangelistic. We're supposed to be reaching the lost. And so, hopefully not clicker will work. So we're supposed to be reaching the lost with the message which is the word of God. Now, when we get into evangelism, of course, we're talking about getting the word of God into people's minds. That's what we're trying to do. Whether they read the word of God or whether they hear the word of God, we're trying to get it into their minds so that they will understand what they must do to get to heaven. And so the purpose of this class is to help us help others get to heaven. And so we're making a little bit of an assumption here that we are already Christians. That's the standpoint we're coming from for the most part. But of course, if anybody here is not a Christian yet, then we encourage you to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, when we talk about effective evangelism, yes, we're talking about the Word of God, but some of this enters into the realm of expediency. The word expedient is actually found several times in the New Testament, even though we may not use that word very much. But the word expedient just simply means a way to accomplish a goal. So what may be expedient in one situation, useful, helpful in one situation with one person, may not be expedient in another situation with another person 
who has maybe a different kind of religious background. When you read about the Apostle Paul going to different places in the book of Acts, you don't see him taking the exact same approach with every group of people he encountered. Acts chapter 17, that group, that audience of Athenians, they are much different than the Jews who were meeting on the Sabbath days in the synagogues. The Jews already believed the Old Testament scriptures. And Paul knew he would get an opportunity to stand up and speak to them. In fact, just as a side note, in every example in the book of Acts, when you see Paul repeatedly going into the synagogue, he's not just sitting there as a silent observer. He knows he's going to get an opportunity to speak in every single case of him going into the synagogue, you're going to see him getting up and teaching. So we have to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves, but the approach we take with one person may not be the best approach as with another person. So this gets into our own personal judgment in some of this. So don't misunderstand me. It's all based on the Word of God, but we've got to use our discernment to decide what is the best approach. So regarding matters of expediency, I'm going to be telling you about my experiences. That's the best thing that I know how to do is just to share with you experiences that I have had that are based on the Word of God. So the methods that I use are based on what Jesus did, Paul, and others in the Bible. Also, advice from older, more experienced, wiser men of God who have helped me and given me ideas in the past. And then studying various methods that are in the brotherhood because there are several different tools available to us and what I like to use may not be what you like to use the best. Someone has likened it to going fishing, which by the way, you know, we're supposed to be fishers of men, but you may not use the same lure every time you go fishing. And you may prefer to use a certain type of lure when you go fishing, and I may prefer a totally different kind of lure. So this is matters of, you might say, opinion. A lot of this is just advice. Matters of opinion, matters of expediency. And then uh, with Fishers of Men is one of the groups that uh, teaches evangelistic courses. You may have heard of the Fishers of Men courses before. Open Bible Study, OBS, stands for Open Bible Study. And so that is one that has been used quite a bit down in this area. I know several preachers uh, down here, not too far away, who use the open Bible study method for teaching the truth. We've got something called Owen Albright's study guides. And these are eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper that have blanks on them for you to use the Bible to fill in the blanks. So that's also a good method. Back to the Bible is something that I learned about in recent years. I'm not sure how long it has been in publication, but uh, there's a brother that you may have heard of. His name is Rob Whitaker, and he does a lot of work with the Jacksonville, Alabama congregation that puts out the house-to-house, heart-to-heart 
publication that you may have heard about. A lot of congregations, for example, the Sasser congregation in Brantley, where Amanda grew up, they have sent out that publication into the community many times, trying to reach the lost. Well, Back to the Bible is a three-part Bible study guide that many of our brothers and sisters use when they are teaching someone the truth. And I'll say a little bit more about all of this in just a few minutes. But the main thing that we need to focus on, as the old saying is, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is, remember, love is the greatest commandment in the Bible. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. And Paul said, let all that you do be done with love. 1 Corinthians 16, 14. So we should not approach this as if we just want to get numbers. We want to build up the reputation of the church and we just want to get numbers. That's not what this is about. And also, we should not come at this with the idea that, well, we know the truth and we're going to show them. <clears throat> That's not the right attitude either. When we think about the love of God, the Bible says that God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 8. I don't deserve to go to heaven. And I dare say you don't deserve to go to heaven. No disrespect. But all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. And the wages of sin is dead. Romans 6.23. So I don't deserve to go to heaven. I have no reason to be puffed up with pride or self-righteousness because I'm going to heaven by the grace of God. Because, yes, I chose to obey God. That is an essential part of this. But I could not be saved without God's mercy that he has shown toward me. And that's because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And the very reason Jesus came to earth is stated in Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's our mission now. He handed that over to us. He handed it over to his apostles who were then to pass that on all the way until the end of the world. And lo, I'm with you even until the end of the world, he says. Amen. When he gives the great commission. So this needs to be stated first. If we're not coming at this from an angle of love, then it's worthless. It's in vain. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 4. You know how Paul stresses the importance of even if I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. So if we are doing things without love, then it means nothing. Now, here's something that a lot of members of the churches of Christ, I dare say, maybe you don't really understand. Not everybody is ready to hear what you would like to say to them. <coughs> Sometimes maybe to ease our conscience, we just blurt it out without <coughs> wisdom. 
Paul said, walk in wisdom toward them that are outside the church. Colossians 4, verse 5. So we're supposed to use wisdom when we are trying to reach the lost. And by the way, anybody who's outside of Christ's church that he promised to build in Matthew 16, 18 is lost because he is the savior of that one body, it says in Ephesians 5, 23. So we've got to be in that body, but what if we see someone or we know someone who's not in that body, then our love for them should motivate us. To be motivated basically means to be moved to action. So if your love for other people is not going to motivate you, then again, this is all worthless, but the one that you want to save may not be ready to hear what you have to say. Jesus is the one who gave us that great commission we just talked about. But you know what Jesus said on one occasion? I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them. Now, isn't that interesting? Jesus is the one who told us to go preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Mark 16, 15, and 16. And yet Jesus himself, speaking to his close followers, said, there are things that I would like to say to you, but you're not ready for it. And Jesus did not just blurt it out anyway to ease his conscience so that he could say, well, I told them, it's off my hands now. That may not be the best approach. So, in the Church of Christ, this is not a bad thing to be courageous. It's not bad to be zealous. It's not bad to speak the truth. But even <coughs> Jesus said there may be sometimes when somebody's not ready to hear what you have to say. In Mark chapter 433, it says, And when many such parables spake the word unto them, as they were able to hear it. Same thing. Jesus knew that there were some things they were not ready for. So we could put many more scriptures up here. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is writing to an immature congregation. The church at Corinth. And he says, and I, brethren, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk hitherto, and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither are ye yet able. Paul was disappointed because here are people who are members of the Lord's church, and he's calling them babies. In fact, that term, babies, referring to full-grown adults, is used several times in the scriptures, and that's going to be what we talk about in the worship assembly, Lord willing. But also, in Hebrews chapter 5, 
He says, of which we have, or of whom we have many things to be uttered. He says, but you are dull of hearing. For before the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. So they should have been teachers by now, but they were not because they were still on the milk. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Baby is the way we would say it. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So he said, we have many things we would like to say to you, but we can't because you're dull of hearing. Now, some people, if you have your Bible, turn with me, please, to John chapter 8. I know that you're Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. That's interesting. My word has no place in you. Go down to verse 43. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear. You cannot hear my word. Verse 47. He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because you are not of God. I don't believe that this statement applies to everybody in the world who's not ready to hear the plain truth about a certain subject. What we have here are people who should have known better. These people, the scribes, the Pharisees, they knew the law of Moses. And Jesus is going to tell these same people, actually, if you back up three chapters in John 5, 39, search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. Did you ever think about that part, you think? He's speaking to those Jews. He said, you think... You have eternal life in the law of Moses. No, all that's talking about me, Jesus. He came to fulfill the law. So there are some people out there who they're like, they fit into this category. They've had plenty of opportunities to study, and they've actually probably seen the truth and have just rejected it. You know the four soils. Matthew 13 and Luke chapter 8, well, that's basically what we're talking about here. Some soils are just not going to be receptive to the Word of God, and you cannot do anything about it, and you don't need to beat yourself up over it. You shake the dust off your feet, like Matthew 10 says, and like Paul did in Acts 13 and Acts 18 and other places, and you move on. It doesn't make any sense to have a field 
a whole field and you stand there planting one seed and watering that one seed waiting for it to grow. Look at all the opportunities that are out there and yet you've missed all those opportunities because you're focusing on this one seed that does not want to grow. It may never grow, even though we hope that it will. Years to here, I'm going to go back to an example that is personal to me. I did not grow up in the Church of Christ. I did not grow up with solid biblical teaching. I didn't grow up with exposure to those solid spiritual things. When I did go to services, we would go to the Baptist church some. My grandfather was a Baptist preacher. And whenever we did that, I picked up some things. But long story short, Amanda, when I started dating her, she grew up in the Sasser congregation, uh, the Church of Christ at Sasser. And while I was dating her, her mother asked me a question. And she said, Jason, have you been baptized? And I said, yes, ma'am. I, I mean, I was 100% confident that I had done, you know, I, I didn't have anything to be concerned about. <coughs> yes, ma'am. And then she said, was it for the remission of sins? And I honestly had no idea what she was talking about. I had never heard the phrase before. Even though it's in the Bible. I'd never seen that. I'd never heard it. And really, she might as well have been speaking a foreign language to me. Because I, I did not understand what she was saying. Her question got me thinking. Why was I baptized? And then one night, the preacher there, Brother Jeff Grimes, pulled me aside and he showed me Acts 22.16. I had never seen that verse. And it says, and now, why tarryest thou? In other words, what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. Calling the name of the Lord. That's not what I had been taught growing up. But he showed me something that is so clear right here in my face, I could not deny it. I'd already been thinking about for the remission of sins and what all that means. And so that night, that, that's all it took. I, I went to be baptized in Christ that night the way the Bible says. But here's my point. My ears were not really ready to hear what my mother-in-law was saying when she said remission of sins. I was very confused. I don't fault her. I'm not saying she did anything wrong. It got me thinking. It got me moving in the right direction, actually. But if you're talking to somebody who doesn't know anything about working on cars, and you start talking about how a carburetor, you know how a carburetor works. I mean, you know, this and this and this. They have no idea what you're talking about. They don't know what a carburetor is. They don't know anything about this. You're speaking in a foreign language to them. And yet, in the Lord's church, we are used to, to speaking as the oracles of God, 1 Peter 4, 11, and things that just come out of our mouths normally to other people, they don't know what you're talking about sometimes. So what's the point of all this? 
we need to get them ready to hear. We need to get them to the point where they say, oh, for the remission of sins. I see it. I understand. The light comes on. But there are steps to get to that point. Brother Jeff Grimes took me aside and went through some of those steps with me to get to that point so that I would be ready. But that's one of the things we want to talk about is getting people ready to be able to hear, and you've got to be persistent. A lot of people think, well, <clears throat> the hardest part about converting somebody is conducting the Bible study because they're going to ask me something that I'm not going to remember. I'm not good at remembering where so-and-so is. And they're going to ask me some question about the Antichrist, and I, I don't, I'm not ready for that. <clears throat> well, you got the wrong idea. Or if that's the way you're planning on conducting the Bible study, I'm advising you not to conduct it in that way. <clears throat> the hardest part of a conversion is not the Bible study. The hardest part is getting the Bible study. The hardest part is convincing somebody that their soul is worth enough for them to take an hour out of their busy schedule to hear what the Word of God says, to see what the Word of God says, and then to output what the Word of God says. This is very important. If you've ever studied how the human brain works as far as retaining information, it's not as effective if you simply have input, input, input. If you have both input and output, so in other words, you are speaking about a biblical subject or they've read about a biblical subject and the Bible is talking about the four soils, let's just say, in Matthew 13. And the question says, how many types of soils did Jesus discuss? Well, that person's going to have to think about that. And they may even have to look back at the passage and say, oh, four. And that, I know that sounds simple to you and me if you've been a Christian for a long time. But when people start learning things like that, that they've never been taught like me when I was growing up, it is exciting. And they start realizing, I'm actually learning some stuff here. I'm actually growing from this. And they're going to develop even more of an appetite once they see, you're shining the light on all of this that I thought was really difficult, and actually it's not. And the question was, how many types of soil? Not who is the Antichrist? And when is the Battle of Armageddon going to come? And when is the rapture going to be? And what can we can we look at the signs of the times and tell all those kinds of things? You are not going to be dealing with that. You're going to use an organized Bible study that keeps you on track so that you don't run off and try to chase all these rabbits because you'll never get to the point where they need to be converted if you're always running chasing all these rabbits, you see. But as far as being persistent, we've got to be adaptable, and this takes practice. 
This takes trial and error, and what works for one person may not work for someone else. Here are some ways to set up Bible studies. Just ask them. Would you be willing to study the Bible with me and my wife? We're looking for people to study the Bible in this area, and all we do is just get the truth right out of God's Word. Would you be interested in that? You'd be surprised how many people would say, well, yeah, I could probably do that on probably Tuesdays. I have to work on most of the other days, but maybe Tuesday. And by the way, if they say maybe Tuesday, you get a commitment. You get a commitment. Say, okay, let's do Tuesday at 6 p.m. Will that work for you? Oh, uh, I think so. so. So you write it down or put it in your phone or whatever, and you get their contact information, and you get a commitment. Don't just say, well, maybe I'll call you later and we'll try to send it. Get a commitment. Number two, ask, have you heard of the Church of Christ? What do you know about the Church of Christ? Would you like to learn more about the Church of Christ? Um, you'd be surprised. People who are in different religious groups, a lot of times they like to tell you about their religious group. There's nothing wrong with them telling you about their religious group. You, in fact, could use that as an opportunity. They may say, well, no, I'm not interested in studying. I'm a member of the Methodist Church. And you can say, well, you know what? I'm curious about the Methodist Church. Would you be willing to sit down with me and teach me more about what the Methodist Church teaches? Or look at the Word of God and see what we can find in the Word of God? And we're not converting to Methodism when we do this. What we're going to do is we're going to listen to them until they're done. And then, would it be okay if I tell you about the Church of Christ? I mean, wouldn't that be the polite thing to do? You have listened to them very politely and respectfully to tell, tell you about their religion. Well, would it be okay if I told you about the Church of Christ? And... Unless they're very rude, they're probably going to say, well, yeah, sure, go ahead. And there is your Bible study, you see? Number three, uh, that's actually what we just talked about. Number four, ask them if they're interested in studying so that they can know whether or not these preachers on television are preaching the truth. They're preaching different things. They're not all preaching the same thing, so how do you know who's telling the truth? Two plus two cannot be seven and three at the same time. Two plus two is four. Truth is objective. It's narrow. My phone number is 850-826-8198. If you dial 8199, you're not going to get me because the truth is it ends in eight. And you may not like that. And it's not subjective. You see? The truth is just the truth, whether we like it or not. Number five, tell them you're conducting a religious survey. We're not lying here. I've actually got a survey I'm going to show you on the screen in a minute where, that I've made up where I'm actually asking people about their beliefs, and I'm writing them down. But it's interesting to learn about people's beliefs, but that is used as a tool to get a Bible study with you. I'll show you that in a minute. Number six, ask them if they're saved. 
most people are going to say, well, yes. And then ask, well, what did you do to become saved? Well, I, I asked Jesus to come into my heart. And I know he saved me. Okay, well, have you ever seen that in the Bible? Hmm. Have I ever seen that in the Bible? Have you ever read of anybody doing that in the Bible? To be saved? Like in the book of Acts, for example, there's thousands of conversions. Have you ever read of anybody doing that? And no matter what they say, they're not going to be able to show you the scripture for that because it's not in the Bible. But that might make them realize maybe I do need to study the Bible. Maybe I don't have all the answers that I assumed that I had. And getting somebody to that point, it's not to humiliate anybody. I don't know everything. Nobody in here knows everything. But when you help somebody realize that they don't have all the answers when it comes to something like how to be saved. We know the truth on that. Now you've got more fertile soil because they may be like, I probably do need to study that because I can't give you a scripture for that. It's very strange. I, I just assumed that it was in there somewhere, but no, now that you say that, I've never seen that. Sometimes I will take my Bible app out and I'll just search for the phrase, ask Jesus. Because the everybody says, not everybody, ask Jesus to come into your heart and you're saved. So, okay, ask Jesus. I'm searching for that phrase in the Bible. You see how many results? Zero results. Zero. Let's study the Bible and let's find out what the Bible actually teaches become something. Number seven, <clears throat> the church may start an evangelism class. And you can use that as a tool to say, I am taking a class where we're trying to study the Bible with people. And I'm supposed to be finding people to study the Bible with me to, so I can do well in this class. And it would be profitable for me and for you. Would you help me out and be willing to study with me for a few minutes? Bible? And a lot of people say, well, sure. You know, I, I believe in God. I believe the Bible. I don't have any problem with that. And so that's a way you can do it. Number eight, this is a little more complicated. This is the method that the fishers of men use most often. I went through that course twice, I think. But you could say, um, excuse me, um, could I ask you a couple of questions related to the Bible? Something like this. And they'll usually say, well, yeah, go ahead. Okay, all I need you to do is tell me which one of these three questions is most interesting to you. That's all I need you to do. Just one, two, or three. That's all you got to say. One, two, or three. So, number one, why are there so many different churches? If there's only one church in the Bible, why are there so many different churches today? Number two, will most people on earth go to heaven? Number three, will we be judged by what the Bible says? Which one of those three questions 
is most interesting to you. And sometimes they'll say, okay, what was number one? And you may have to repeat it. But then they'll say, well, number three. Because I am no spring chicken anymore, and I know I'm going to have to stand before the Lord, and I want to make sure that you know what I've done is going to be pleasing to Him. So I'm not sure about that. Would you be willing? Is there any reason why we couldn't study the Bible about that? And notice the way we worded that. Is there any reason why? That's different from saying, would you be willing to? They can easily say no. But you ask them for a good reason. Give me a good reason why you can't take a few minutes to study something that's going to affect your eternal salvation. You see? And then it's hard for them to think of anything to say sometimes. We're not trying to trick people. We're not trying to intimidate people. But again, be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Here's this survey I was telling you about, uh, and I'd be glad to share it with any of you. If you want, you can make one yourself. Um, Ma'am, may I ask you a couple questions? I'm doing a religious survey. I promise it only takes like 30 seconds. It's about the Bible, Christianity. Most people will say, okay. Okay, number one, do you believe people should obey what God said in the Bible? Yes. Number two, according to the Bible, what must a person do to change from lost to saved? Sometimes they may stop and not know what to say. Nine times out of ten, they're going to say, you need to uh, confess, make the confession, or you need to ask Jesus to come into your heart, uh, accept Jesus as your personal Savior. You've probably heard that one before. All those things are not in the Bible, at least not the way they're using them. And so this right here usually can get their brain going a little bit. And then number three, whatever they said, have you ever read of anybody in the Bible? Have you ever read of anybody in the Bible asking Jesus to move or accepting Jesus as their personal Savior? Well, if they say yes, then it's not in there. We know it's not in there. We're trying to get to this point. Is there any reason you don't want to study the Bible with me and my wife if it's men don't meet with women alone? That's not appropriate. Uh, my wife and I would love to study the Bible with you, man. If it's a woman, so to speak. Uh, is there any reason why you would not want to study the Bible with me about how to make sure that we are on our way to heaven? And a lot of times they'll say yes, and then you need to get a commitment. Name, address, phone number, date, and time for the study. Get something solid. If they say, well, actually, no, I, I'm not interested in that. I already studied my life. This is, this is pretty common. In fact, sometimes they'll say, I've read the Bible four whole times. Uh, sometimes an older person will have said to me, younger than them, I've been reading the Bible since before you were born. You know, a little bit of self-righteous pride almost sounds like. Well then, you've been reading the Bible for 60 years. You probably know all about Nadab and Bahia. Who? Nadab and Abihu? Uh, 
Well, what, what can you tell me about Uzzah? Uh, I, I don't know. Is that, is that a king? No, it's not a king. Yeah, I'm sure you read the book of Acts. I mean, there's only 27 books in the New Testament. I'm sure if you've read the Bible four times, I'm sure you've read the book of Acts. So when you're studying Acts, what did those people do to be saved? <coughs> They're probably not going to be able to answer any of these questions. And we're not trying to humiliate them. We're trying to get them to see, I need to study. I thought I knew what was going on with all this, but I'm not sure that I do. And even though I have read the Bible, I don't know that I really studied the Bible. I literally had this happen to me with a family member uh, not too long ago when I was trying to reason with them, and that was the response I got. An older family member talking about how much they've read the Bible, and I said, well, then you ought to be able to tell me about puzzles, right? Maybe that invite you those kinds of things. All right, no, we studied the Bible at my church. So we're not, I'm not interested in studying with you. I already studied the Bible at my church. Well, you could say, what does your church, what does your church teach about becoming saved? I literally got a really good Bible study with this right here one time. When I was in Mississippi, a lady came to the door when we were door knocking. COVID slowed down a lot of door knocking campaigns, I understand. But uh, whenever I knocked on her door, <clears throat> I was trying to get a Bible study. I don't remember exactly what I said, but she's like, no, I'm a Baptist. I'm not interested in that. And I said, okay, well, I could have stopped right there. I could have said, okay, have a good day. But I didn't. I said, well, as a Baptist, what would you tell me to do if I'm lost and I need to become saved? She's like, oh, My son's better than this stuff than I am. She went and got her son, and I was talking with him, and wound up getting a Bible study with her son. He was probably about in his early 20s, something like that, and had a good Bible study with him. But you don't give up so easily. You see, it would be really easy just to say, you know, well, you probably don't want to study the Bible with me anyway, so have a good day. No, you've got to be tougher than that. Uh, there's a brother named Stanley Ryan. Some of you may uh, know who he is. He, I heard him talking about him taking one of the church members with him to go study the Bible with this brother's aunt, who's not a Christian. And so they get there, and Mr. Stanley says, Hey, Miss So-and-so, we hope you have a good day. <coughs> Leo and I, uh, we're just going around visiting people. I want to see it. You want to study the Bible a little bit? We can come in and visit with you for a minute. No, I'm not interested. Well, it won't take. No, I, I'm not interested. I mean, she was pretty, pretty firm. She didn't want to do that. But he didn't give up. He said, ma'am, Leo has taken off work today. Vignette has taken off. <coughs> you know how busy he is. He did this just for you. And I'm trying to help teach him how to study the Bible with people. He would really be doing us a big favor if he let us study the Bible with you. She said, oh, come on in. And there it was. <coughs> Don't be so quick to give up. Be persistent. 
Someone says, no, I'm too busy. Well, what's more important than your soul? And what's more important than the souls of your family members? If Okay, if your soul is not very important to you, what about your daughter? <clears throat> what about your father? What about those people that you love so much and you don't care what's going to happen to them when they die? Surely you do. Well, how do you know that all of you are doing what God wants you to do to be saved? Let's look at it from the Bible. Now, I'm just not interested. You could say, well, can we at least say a prayer for you and your family? And a lot of times that will open up somebody's heart. When they hear you praying to God for them and their family members, that can work also. And they may say, okay, yeah, I probably do need to study the Bible. And they may let you. Again. But the focus on God's Word. Uh, this is something that no matter what curriculum you use, <coughs> curriculum must, may not be the best word. Uh, we, we homeschooled a lot, so that word is stuck in my mind. But uh, no matter what method you use, when you're fishing for men, always bring it back to God's, not Jason's said. Because they're going to say that. Well, you said, no, 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 remember? You read it. You read how many soils there were, and you're the one who wrote number four on that piece of paper, remember? It wasn't me that said it, you said it. First of all, God said it, and then you wrote it. Why did you write four? It's because you understood. <clears throat> now you may say, well, that's kind of trivial. What's, what's the big deal about that? The way this works, logically building from step to step, they may try to backtrack on you and try to actually change one of their answers from four just because they uh, they realize where this is heading. Rather than sticking to the truth of what God plainly said, they may try to go back and say, well, I, that is what I need to do to be saved. Well, that's, that's not what you said before. Why didn't you say that before? A lot of times people will change a lot of things when they start learning. They want to modify what they have said to try to match it up with God's word, and we're not doing any favors to them if we just let that slip. We need to say, why did you answer this on page three that way? In fact, there's four questions right here, and you answered them all the same way. Something's strange. Um, I use King James. Now, Sometimes, if I've got somebody, if I'm studying with someone, for example, who's uh, Spanish, they speak Spanish as their main language and they're having trouble with English, sometimes I may use some of the King James. Um, <coughs> there are some things that are easier to understand, and New King James is based off the majority text, like the King James is. There are some things I don't like about New King James. I do not, uh, well, I say I do not. It does not teach accurately on divorce in Matthew 19.9. So you've got to be really careful. I would prefer to stick with King James, but sometimes people will read it and they're like, I, I, I can't do this. Because maybe their English is really bad or for whatever reason. I do not recommend these translations. And if you want to know later why, I'll be glad to explain to you why and send you something to read about. We usually buy like five or six copies of identical Bibles 
And when we have the Bible study, if we got four people, everybody's got exactly the same Bible. And that way, when we say, turn to Zechariah 13, verse 1, it's going to take them a long time to find Zechariah 13, 1. Okay? This is a matter of opinion. Rob Whitaker says, you let them find it. I believe sometimes you should and sometimes you shouldn't. If somebody is arrogant, let's say, uh, very prideful about their Bible knowledge and you know all this stuff, then it may be good to let them find their own passages. Because when you say, let's go to Zechariah 13, 1, and they are having trouble, a dose of humility is good sometimes, okay? But you have to use your wisdom on that. I believe usually in most cases it's more expedient to go and have the same Bible so I can say, Zechariah 13.1 is on page 667. That's on page 667, and you're moving right along. If you're sitting there for three hours, they're going to start losing their patience. I mean, three hours is way too long, generally, especially people's attention spans today. Um, like I said, be very careful with translation you use. I have used New King James before, but not usually. Do not tell or quote. This is something that's really hard for preachers, by the way. Uh, when they ask you what so-and-so says, you know you got it ready on the tip of your tongue to tell them what it says, but you don't tell them to open the Bible and let them see it for themselves. That's very important. Because otherwise they're going to say, well, that's what you said, but that's not what I saw in the Bible. Well, we want them to see everything straight from the Word of God. Um, this is a Bible study guide that I put together myself. It's called Simply Scriptures. The reason it's called Simply Scriptures is because you've got 2 Peter 1.3, read that, and then you just answer the question. So a lot of times what we'll do is I will read the Scripture, or Amanda will read the Scripture, and then the person that we're teaching it's their job to read the question and answer the question. You can do it in different ways, but it kind of takes a little bit of pressure off them if they don't have to do everything. We do the reading of the scripture for them as they look at it themselves, too, and then they answer it straight from the Word of God. And then you've got a hard copy of them and what they agreed to that you're going to need to come back to later. I'll show you something in just a minute. Lesson one is on authority. Lesson two is on the church. Lesson three is on salvation. This right here, you must do this. You must have them fill out a questionnaire about their beliefs and how they became saved first, or else they're going to backtrack on you and say, oh, well, I did do that. Well, that's not what you said when we began the study. So why are why has everything changed now all of a sudden, you see? Something's not right here. And so we want you to be honest with us and tell us why you said this three weeks ago. Also, don't forget to ask about their marriage situation. Someone might say, well, the church doesn't have any business in people's marriages. Well, 1 Corinthians 5 would say that we do, and Mark 6, 17, and 18. And you don't want to leave somebody in sin if you could help them get out of that. So that's something that I always try to do, and you can do that when you're studying about repentance. Let them give the answers. You don't give them any answers, period. 
Do not give them the answers. And even if they say, well, I'm not sure, then what you do is you say, okay, let's go back and read the verse. Let's go back and read it again, and then we'll see if we can answer. And if they still can't get it, then you may give them some crumbs, so to speak, to kind of help them to figure it out, but you don't want to give them the answers because, for one thing, you don't want them coming back later saying, well, you're the one who said that. We want them to process that. Remember, input and output is the best way to learn. And here is one of the most important things. If they want to know about the rapture and all that kind of stuff right from the get-go, you can say, here's a piece of paper and a pen. I would like for you to write that question down, and we will eventually get to that question. Now, you may be thinking, Jason, if she, if she asked me about the Antichrist, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to answer that question. You know, Well, you've got plenty of time, Lord willing, if the Lord wills. By the time you get to Lesson 3 on salvation, when they learn all that stuff, they're not going to be thinking about the Antichrist anymore. They're going to see, whoa, wait a minute. I have not even done what the Bible says I must do to be saved. I've got to do this first. And then if they still have questions, you've had plenty of time to do research about that. Maybe you have an article you can give them to read, or maybe you've got a brother or sister in Christ who can help you uh, with that to explain it to them in a way that they can understand it. So we do want to answer their questions, but we don't want to, uh, as Brother Israel said last night, Billy Bland uh, described it as giving them a candy bar. They're asking for the candy bar. Tell me about the Antichrist. Well, if you give them the candy bar before they eat their English peas, they're not going to want the English peas. You see, they eat that Snickers bar, and now they, they don't they want any of that other stuff. You, we start with the foundation. You don't start from the roof. You start from the bottom up. And that's an illustration that most people can understand. So local outreach, uh, you've already been doing the paper that went out, uh, it's very similar to one that we sent out from Baker, and we got a lot of good responses from that. I say a lot. Um, somewhere probably between five and ten, you know. Um, people who either came to the assembly or called and wanted to talk about these things. Um, be careful about the language we use. Gospel meeting, I'm not saying it's wrong to use that terminology, but a lot of our religious neighbors don't know what that's talking about. I didn't grow up in the church, and I had never heard of a gospel meeting before. And if, some, if somebody had come and knocked on my door and said, we want to invite you to a gospel meeting, I have no idea of what they're talking about. And, okay, then you might say, well, then you should ask. You should ask. Well, what if we begin with terminology that they can understand. The word revive, it's not, I know denominations use that revival term sometimes. There's nothing unscriptural about that. In fact, Brother Frank used the word revive in his prayer last night, and that's fine. That's a biblical word. We sing a song, maybe you sing sometimes, revive us again. Okay? That's something a lot of people understand. So, depending on who you're speaking to, then it may be expedient, remember that word? 
it may be most expedient to use something that's still speaking as the Bible speaks, but something they can actually grab hold of and understand what you're talking about. Homecoming meeting. We want to go out and invite our neighbors to come to our homecoming meeting. They're like, this, that's not my home. What, what do you mean? Why are you inviting me to your homecoming meeting? It, I know this, you can say this is trivial, but I believe in removing any barriers as long as we're not compromising the truth and as long as we're still speaking by the word of God, I don't want there to be anything that becomes a barrier between this precious soul and this book. So I will do what is expedient and scriptural to try to get that person to know the truth. Really quickly, a survey was conducted years ago to find out why people partic uh, attended a particular congregation. 3% came because the preacher visited. 9% came because they were influenced by the beauty of the church movement. 14% came because they were influenced by previous ties. 18% because they lived near the church movement. 22% because they liked certain members. And 34% because they had been invited by family members or friends. Never underestimate your power uh, of influence over people who love you. Um, they want you to be happy with them just naturally because they love you. And we can invite them and we can try to study the Bible with them, but inviting people to come to services is not, statistically speaking, the best way to convert somebody from lost to saved. An organized, private, personal Bible study where they're not being put on the spot in front of a whole lot of people, that's one thing about it, where they can ask questions and feel comfortable in that more secluded environment, that's one thing about it, that is much more likely. And so that's what we want to do. We want to get a Bible study. So that's where we will stop, and I probably went a little bit over, but I appreciate your attention.